Welcome to episode 10 of Hear Her Out, the podcast which tells millennial women's stories. I'm Faye White, a journalist and a sexual violence activist, and my guest this week is Natalie Byrne. Natalie is a Latina illustrator and author of the incredible book, Period. Period is written and beautifully illustrated by Natalie, and she decided to write it after she realised there was a lack of resources for young people who were starting their period and to learn about them. I've been having periods myself for 14 years, and the book was full of things that I didn't know about periods as a 26-year-old woman, so you're bound to learn something if you read the book yourself. And if you haven't rated Hear Her Out 5 stars yet, now is your chance if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. If you're enjoying the episodes, why not leave me a review and let me know? It would really make my day and I love hearing all of your feedback and it really helps other people to find the podcast too. You can also subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. If you're listening on Spotify, just click the little heart in the top right hand corner or hit subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. But without further ado, over to Natalie. I've been excited to talk to you all about periods, but I think like where a good place to start would be what was your experience like growing up learning about periods? Um, I mean, it was quite late. I felt I already had had a period for a couple of years when they started to talk about it and so it felt really like too late and... Um, when they started to talk about it in school yeah and and my mum was um she tried but I I have dyslexia so um like I was always put in the learning difficulties class and so um she tried but I was like just smiling and nodding and saying that I understood when I didn't so um and there's a lot of stuff that happened like that that just kind of didn't go in and periods was one of those things and um, then when I got older, and I was about 15 when the school like separated the girls and the boys into one assembly, and then pulled up pads and like, we thought it was hilarious, but also like, it wasn't new information to us. And even the stuff that they did say was really like, um, the only word that's coming up in my head to describe it is vanilla it's like wasn't interesting wasn't particularly helpful it was like here's a pad this is how you use it have some pads and that was it and it was really um like not helpful and I grew up in Buckinghamshire and through doing the research for my book I discovered that Buckinghamshire being one of the conservative places is so is one of the worst um like sex health Um, relationships education is is really terrible Uh, I think that it's because they just um, leave it to the parents to do it Mm. yeah not very positive and but through making the book and having the discussions I've had now I feel like I'm feeling good about um, where I am at with periods because 15 sounds quite late you would think that most yeah people in the class have already had a period by that point as girls almost seem to be starting younger and younger nine ten or even a bit younger than that so your journey with the book all started for you in 2017 you're working as a graphic designer and in retail and what kind of struck you first to start writing about periods um so I had kind of started illustrating on the side of my day jobs because of 
kind of Trump and Brexit and I had like all these emotions about it so I was like drawing and then also find it really fun and when you're interning as a graphic designer you don't have any creative control um, and you know working in retail wasn't the most positive experience for me so I needed a creative outlet and illustration was that and then it got political and it was talking about like my own stuff with mental health and then I wrote a list of things that scared me to talk about and one of those things was my period and then I posted this illustration and a bloody good period found it and messaged me and and they were like this is amazing and can we repost this please and and that's the first time I ever heard of period poverty and um just immediately was like oh I'd love to make some more stuff to help help like I had no idea and here's me like had no I time like I had no time to be involved in activism because I was like interning working retail and so I thought if, if, if I can offer my drawings and that can help um like that felt like I could be involved in activism without you know whilst working two jobs um and so it, my interest and knowledge and education around period poverty kind of happened like that and then slowly as I um, started to make more work around periods for um, Bloody Good Period I joined their team as one of their bloody creatives and then um, I, then I went to the Free Periods protest and someone on the podium said there was not enough materials for people to learn about periods and then that's when I was like ah Oh, that's interesting and I didn't believe them I I went into my library and just asked there's books on periods isn't there and then we like looked me and this librarian we, we looked for like an hour and we couldn't find anything we found books about like growing up and there was like a page where like oh a period's a thing and then there was a double page spread on wet dreams mm. so it was really <laughs> it was so shocking and that was 2017 <laughs> And I was like, oh, I thought things were really bad when I was young, but things have changed. And then that's when I was like, wow. And I was so angry. And I went to a few different libraries and still had the same uh, reaction, um, like result, and um, complained about it for a while. And then, uh, yeah, I just couldn't get to sleep one night because I thought, I'm going to have to do this thing. And um, I felt like such an imposter. Like, I still feel like I don't really know everything I'm not a doctor and that through the whole way through making the book I felt so like there were moments where um my imposter syndrome overtook um me I started to get interest like if I had the idea I'm gonna make it but I thought it was gonna be a zine like I produce it myself I print it on my mum's computer I'll maybe make 10 and then I told my mum and then my mum told some of her colleagues, she works in a nursery, and um, started to slowly get orders in before I had even really started working on it. I was reading and researching, and so that's when I thought, wow, like, okay, that's interesting. And um, then in, so the Free Periods protest was in December, and then in February I got invited to be part of an exhibition for 100 women I know's 
first yeah. book launch. I kind of was so excited because it was one of my it was my first exhibition, and so I said, "Is you know, I'm happy to help out on the day." And then I met the publishers. And we went for lunch and they were like, what are you working on? And I was like, oh, <laughs> like it just didn't, because I thought it was just like this small project, like I'll make 10. And I was like, oh, I'm kind of, kind of making this scene. And they were immediately like eyes wide, like uh, <laughs> we're working on this together. Mm. Um, so yeah, it all kind of like happened very organically. Mm. And, um, yeah. But going back to the list that you made that initially sparked the idea for this, you said that you had... Um, kind of shame talking about your own period yeah. what what were your feelings towards speaking about your own period and where do you think those came from I think the, so the first illustration I posted was of someone leaking and I was like you can read in the caption that it's, it's still up that I was still so shameful and um, I was like you know I'm sorry this is like disgusting to talk about but I really want to talk about like my terrible experience I have really heavy periods and did have really heavy periods when I was at school and um, yeah I just was like you know this is my experience and it was absolutely awful and I really do think that the shame and the stigma um, stops people from getting help and that was really it It was very like I really did really know what I was talking about but I just wanted to talk about it and and then it was just oh the response was overwhelming like I had friends that I went to nursery with like people everyone in my life everyone I knew commented on that and messaged me and I was so nervous posting that at the train station because I just I had finished my interning for the day so I posted it at the train station and I remember shaking and um yeah the response from it was was wild like people that I went to nursery with people that I went to school with like everyone was like I have had heavy periods too and thank you so much for talking about this and that was when I realized like wow um I'm not alone like I always thought my period was bizarre and odd and unusual and then the response of that I realized like wow like I'm not the only one and actually it was really common for people to have heavy periods and feel like they had no idea what was going on with their body and feel like they they were an alien or something. And so, um, yeah, I think the shame really came from me having a terrible experience of my period and thinking that, um, like, I was the odd one out, I guess. Mm. And that, um, because I never spoke about it, I never understood that that was completely normal and fine. Um, so yeah, I think that I'm still quite um, like shy and timid about it, but um, oh my God, like the education that I've found has really helped me understand that it's such a normal thing. Well, totally, because I think everyone listening who has had a period in their life has been caught short at some point. Oh, yeah. We've all been there in you know the most inconvenient places when you also mentioned bloody good period mm. who are great initiative who campaign for period poverty for anyone listening who doesn't know what period poverty is could you explain what that is period poverty is just um people not being able to access uh, period products and so it can lead to um, children missing school, um, people not being able to leave the house, 
Um, like, for example, people who maybe rent properties can't sit on their sofa or um, things like that. And Bloody Good Period um, were created because Gabby, uh, she was working in, um, like, refugee uh, centres. And she said, like, um, is there period products here to hand out? And um, the person, re- like, whoever responded said... Oh, we have them, but we only give them out for emergencies. And so she started to uh, reach out to people on Facebook and posted uh, on Facebook, like, can anyone just send me pads? And, when and is it a grew period, like that. When is a period not an emergency? Yes. You're literally bleeding <laughs> out of your vagina. Yeah, and, it, and it's that thing, like, no one's going to ask because there's so much shame around it. Mm. And um, so, yeah, she's. it kind of just happened through Facebook and then she created this charity and it was only going for a couple of months when I posted my thing. So I've been able to see this amazing charity kind of bloom and flourish and um, actually, like, create a lovely friendship with Gabby. And um, it's so... What they're doing is so important, but they're also... Um, trying to smash this kind of like taboo and and the way that they talk about periods is so like unashamed and also bringing comedy into it and and the way that they've like done their whole from a visual perspective as that's kind of my thing Mm. um it's so much more than just what they're doing is helping people but they're also completely changing the conversation around periods as it has been before. I don't know if that makes sense, but I just love everything they do, and I think that, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing to see um, this almost like collective, because there's so many artists that are, are involved now, and to see um, the, the scope of what they've done in like a year is just incredible. And they recently did something with Liberty, um, so yeah I, I try and like always when I can like try and do something for them and um, I'm just inspired by Gabby basically <laughs> she's amazing and you attended the uh, march outside 10 Downing Street that was uh, organised by Amica George and yes. Pink Protest what was that like? So I have anxiety disorder and I found cr- crowds quite hard and I think that was like my second protest. No, that was my first protest, I think. Yes, um, because I took my mum with me because I was so nervous. I was like, mum, can you come with me? And we loved it. Like, um, it was amazing. It was so moving to see so many young people there. There were so many teenagers there. And my mum loved it. She really, really loved it. And um, yeah, me too. And there's nothing like going to something like that to like give you this energy um to keep going um but yeah it was so moving to see so many teenagers um like lit like i'm 27 so i saw these like teenagers and they look so small and they they care and they're you know taking time out of that was december so it was nearly christmas and it's just so powerful to see um, they've chosen to, to go there it. instead of spending a night at Winter Wonderland or something totally. like that yeah um, it's incredible I think it's amazing and um, yeah it was really it was such a great 
turnout and the creative signs were so fun and um, yeah the energy like of things like that it's always important for me as a someone who works alone because I'm full-time and as an illustrator now so I try and go to protests and stuff like that for uh, to get energized again mm-hmm. um, but it's amazing to see also with the free periods that that did have a change in government mm-hmm. um, because I think very often you, we can get like, oh, it's another, another petition, like, is this going to actually do anything? Mm. But it's love. that's something I um, I think a lot of people have seen um, and used to give them motivation to keep going, like people like Gina Martin, like ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And with the internet, you can see from like A to B. Mm. Um, and I think that... Um, it, yeah, hope is so important when you're doing work that is really um, soul, 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 yeah. uh, soul crushing or like, you know, every day we read headlines that um, are really de- depressing so hope is um, I think important for me to, to, to hold on to <laughs> Yeah, well it's like you said, it wasn't just another petition on a screen online, yeah. Philip Hammond has now factored it into the spring budget that you know, young teenagers will get these period products in secondary schools. And I know that they're campaigning now to get them into primary schools as well, because that is really important as Mm. there are um, children in primary schools who do need these products too. But when you were illustrating the book and doing all of the research, what are the kinds of things that you learned that you didn't know about periods before? Oh, like everything. <laughs> like a, you had a re-education. Yeah, like the, the it was almost the most repeated phrase in the book is um, on average, but also this is different for everybody. It's different, like, and that was the most repeated thing. So it was like you could learn something, but it wouldn't won't be the case for everyone. It's mm. like it's not black and white. And like for example, tracking your cycle, we always say it's twenty eight days, yeah. but really that is different for everyone so um yeah I learned basically everything in the book is like brand new information um I brought a lot of my own personal experience into it because my period is so linked to my mental health and body positivity and like how I feel um in my body so a lot of that was in the book as well um, but yeah, most of the stuff was like brand new information, like all the science stuff. Like I didn't know any of the science words. Um, so, I, and it was really scary because I was like, well, I'm not an expert. How, how, why am I writing this? And I think for me, I had to remind myself that if I can read these academic books and academic papers and try and digest it into a way that is understood by me, then definitely a 10 year old will be able to understand it um, and I think that maybe um, a lot of other people felt imposter syndrome so they maybe not I mean not done it and so when I felt that imposter syndrome I was like you know maybe I would let it like stop me for a couple of days but it kept going and I think that was a big thing I was like I don't I'm not a doctor like I don't know anything but I just tried to approach it with like you know, from the perspective of a kid that is going to pick up the book and not know anything, and mm-hmm. um, 
and I, I like to think that me not being an expert helped in the way that I wrote it mm. um, because you can see it through the eyes of someone who's almost approaching it for the first time yeah definitely but also you mentioned that you have anxiety disorder how did you kind of make it through those days where you had that imposter syndrome kind of looming over you with writing the book and you might have thought I'm not the right person to write this book not a doctor um my publishers really helped me a lot um and there was this one day where I felt really down about it all and I had to mind map so I mind map like why am I writing this book Mm. and I ended up filling like these two pages of just stuff and that really helped me so every time I felt down I looked at this and it was it was jam-packed it was like I know exactly I remember what I was like a 10 and I'm not gonna it was so hard to like get into my head and the things that did really help me when I was young were things that were so visual and also things that were written from a perspective of a non-expert and like a non-preachy way and so I was really writing it for, for myself and I had to just ignore everything else and just really focus on myself and that um, I think really helped um, but once I got going and once I had my publishers um, they were they were I mean we're like really close friends now and they really did help me in my confidence and telling me that um, like I was on to something and um, just even like I would draw draw a page and send it to them and just their response and their like um, like uh, cheerleading um, was really helpful because as an illustrator and a lot of things you can feel very isolated and you can get in your own head and like be your own worst enemy and so definitely sending um, work in progress uh, really helped um, and but yeah, it was, there were moments before I met my publishers, there was like two weeks where I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to do this because I'm not the person to do this. <laughs> and then that, around that time was when the Kim Kardashian lollipop scandal happened. And, well, scandal. And <laughs> it, was situation. A, it was a scandal. Yeah, it was. And um, for anyone who doesn't know, Kim Kardashian uh, obviously does lots of brand deals on Instagram as a lot of influencers do and she is the mother of three young children she posted a picture advertising an appetite suppressant lollipop even though you know she is probably a role model to a lot of young women that's the the bastion for them is Kim Kardashian and she's the mother of two young women yeah and uh, I was I was cooking dinner and I was listening to this podcast Stuff Mum Never Told You. They did like a oh, whole... Yeah, I'm sure you'd like it. It's American, but they did a whole episode basically um, explaining why that was so harmful, like all the statistics of it all. And um, I remember I was cooking dinner and um, they said something like, um, in America, you're most diagnosed to get... You're most likely to get diagnosed with anorexia when you're 13. And... Um, Obviously, the book is so helpful for people of any ages, but at that time, I was really aiming for really young people. And 
I just cried. Like I had the statistic and I was like, I just cried. I just couldn't believe that um, at 13, and I mean, I grew up with like every girl I knew, we all had eating disorders and I did as well. Uh, but we were like 14, 15 and the idea that you would be 13 and that's the most commonly age to be diagnosed is just, you're a child. And that's when I was like, I have to make something for these, for, for this t target audience that is counteracting this, like, all this negativity that um, that is happening because it was just such a big statistic for it to be like a family issue or like an individual issue like it's a it's a societal problem and um, so yeah that's when I was listen <laughs> understanding those facts and like little nuggets of facts that really kind of moved me um, really helped me kind of come back to my desk and work um, because yeah it was just it's devastating to hear that like you're a child and you're really likely to be diagnosed with anorexia when, when, you're, when you're a baby mm. it's, it's so sad yeah um, so yeah stuff like that really helped um, like move me I guess and to, to like get back to my desk and like carry on working yeah. um, and um yeah I just thought like I might get it wrong and I might like it might not be all the information about periods um, but I'm going to try and that's kind of how I approached it all really and you know going into the library and not seeing anything I was like am I just going to wait around for someone else to do it um, and if they did would they have done it like the way that I wanted to do it um, so yeah I guess it's tough I think that people see this finished product and they thought that like it was all happy and dandy but these creative projects never yeah. <laughs> work out like that yeah they never they never the behind the scenes is always much more intense Mm. Um, and were you balancing that with still interning? Yeah. How did you manage to do that? So I woke up at, so after the free periods protest and I had the idea, I woke up at 5am um, for an hour and I would read as much as I could, taking notes and like bullet points. Um, and then on the weekends, I would just write for an hour. I'm not someone that can sit and write, yeah. so I'd write for like an hour. Um, and then in uh, when I met my publishers, um, no wait, in, in May, so May of last year, I went full time as an illustrator, uh, big scary leap. And so I managed between brand work and client work and, and the book. And then um, it was already in Google Drives. I was very scared that I was gonna like, my laptop was gonna break or my hard drive was gonna break or something. So we worked with Google Drives. I think I had like a couple of a thousand words, maybe 6,000 words when, uh, in May when I went full time. And a lot of that was bullet points. Um, and then I'd say I was about, I mean, saying halfway through might be a little, little bit too lenient. I was, hadn't really done much drawings, but I had done about half of the writing. 
um, when in the summer of last year my relationship ended, my long-term relationship ended, and the book for me really became like after I had like two weeks of like crying about it, um, it became like this intense focus that I had to like put all my energy into. And I like redid pages, we added in chapters. It helped me through that. Um, and then it came out in November. And, um, but yeah, it was very much like, I have an hour here, I'll do it here, 20 minutes here. I was writing in the notes on my phone, like bullet points. Um, and I, that's how I wrote, I just wrote bullet points. Um, ideas of illustrations I wanted and um, yeah it was really kind of uh, like a university project it was really kind of haphazard but um, I kind of like working that way um, and then the publishers obviously like were great because they made everything look professional and like um, I didn't even know what order the chapters should have been in and I kept rearranging them and I had no idea and then obviously they're great at editing and uh, yeah. And you mentioned earlier that you have dyslexia. Oh yeah. <laughs> How was that writing a, writing a book? So dyslexia? Um, it's all handwritten in the book and that was something I was quite adamant about. Um, but because I wanted I don't know, I wanted kids to see handwriting. And um, yeah, so I have dyslexia, and that was really tr tricky. So if they noticed a spelling mistake, I had to open the file, change, because it's an image. So all the text was images. So if there, was a, there was lots of like T's missing with the crosses. Lots of, so, so many spelling mistakes. Um, but we, I don't know, just working with them, there was always just this level of um, like kindness and respect and like friendship that we were built that we've like built now. So um, I think it's definitely hard to find people you can collaborate with well. Um, and I just hit the jackpot there, and they were just so great. And um, but yeah, there was there was there were days where we were just literally crossing the t's and changing things around and like even to the last minute we were like you know proofreading and trying to get it right but it was hard for me i think for me i'm i'm just i learned in the google doc just bullet points that's how i'm quite that's how my mind always works just bullet points and then go back and like you know write it more but it was i would always i'm the kind of person that any, any advice that I can say for people who's, who are dyslexic that struggle with writing is just saying it out loud. I know people that record themselves and then will go back and like type it. And that was really helpful. So as I was writing, I would read it aloud. And I think that that really helped with the tone. Obviously different if you're writing like an academic paper or a dissertation, you do want to sound fancy. But for me, I was like, no, I want it to sound like just uh, an ordinary person, like a conversation. Anytime there was a word that was too long, we would try and figure out how to just make it shorter, word, shorter words. Um, and actually, I think coming at it from the perspective with dyslexia really it created this, was a huge part as to why it's so visual and why I wanted to use comedy and being silly 
as a key part of talking about this because um, um, I wouldn't have sat down and read the words. Um, and yeah, I think that it's, it's, I didn't think that having dyslexia would be such a key part of it, but I've had so many people who are mums who not only have given the book to their children, but they've also said, oh, the person that wrote this has dyslexia, and if they have dyslexia, and then the mum emails me, and it's just like this extra layer of more emotion. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, and I struggle when people introduce me as a writer. I'm like, oh, I'm dyslexia, I don't think I'm a writer. Um, because I've been told my whole life that I couldn't write. Um, but, yeah, no, I think that it was a struggle. It wasn't easy, but... Um, I think that it also helped in why, I think it's a key part as to why the book was received so well, um, I think. And have you got lots of great feedback from parents who email you? Yeah, I have say? them saved in my little, in, like a, in my email I have a folder, so when I feel really shit, I'm like, <laughs> tell me things, tell me things that are good about myself. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Um, it's so moving, and I have like trans people that email me, and like it's just so lovely. Um, so, yeah, it's quite overwhelming, um, but it's it's I never expected it. I honestly, I re- expected quite a big backlash. Because Why did you expect a backlash? Because I don't know. I have so much imposter syndrome. They were like, "Who's this person? She's not a doctor, and she's telling me about periods." And then. I thought that maybe it would be like, you know, trans inclusive or like if they noticed the spelling mistake, it would be like, I'm not going to trust this person because she can't even write. You know, there's so many insecurities, I guess. Um, And I, you know, doing anything that's kind of trans inclusive, um, I thought it was important to protect all of my online social media that no one could find my location. Like I went all through that book launch before. I went through my Twitter and every, everything to make sure I was uh, being safe. Mm. So you never know with these things. And um, yeah, I haven't like had any, I've had a couple of trolls, but like three. Yeah. <laughs> but it's always good when you can just count your trolls. Yeah. <laughs> but I think one of the main things that I loved about the book is that it is so inclusive. And it was that what really struck me was when I was turning the pages was when I saw the person in the wheelchair because I don't personally know anyone who's in a wheelchair so I wouldn't really have considered oh yeah of course there are people in wheelchairs who have periods Mm. I just wouldn't it wouldn't have really crossed my mind when I initially thought period of period yeah totally yeah that it goes back to when I said before like I had this idea of doing it and am I going to wait for other people to do it the way I want it to be made and um I kind of just drew <laughs> a lot of people don't know this I I kind of drew people like you um okay and I usually do yeah. people don't know that um <laughs> and I, I usually draw myself on my Instagram but um yeah so that was it's it's much easier to draw someone you know because you can get their character um but yeah I think that that was um it was really important to show people with different abilities, with different hair, curly hair, and different body types, and tall and short, and 
Um, yeah, I love I love uh, drawing that way, and I, I don't think I, I could have. It, it's I've always kind of drawn that way with my illustration stuff, um, especially if I'm. You know, sometimes with client work, I have had like, can this person have blonde hair? But most of the stuff that I've done in the past year, I've been the kind of red tape person, <laughs> the person that gets to decide. So if I am, I am just gonna like do the most, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is fun. Um, and um, but yeah, I think it's it's always. Um, that wasn't that was another part where I thought like you know it's it's so different in because it's trans inclusive it's also different because it shows different bodies and it shows different hair and it was, was so unlike anything that I had seen as a kid that's why I thought like it would get a backlash of parents and schools and stuff but um, no it's been so it's so nicely received and I think another thing I noticed with it is that my mum read the whole book and didn't even realise it was inclusive like trans inclusive and how it how it can be quite easy to do that I think people who um, like my mum who have quite traditional uh, South American <laughs> cultural um, I get that <laughs> so it's so it was a quite shock because I thought yeah. like oh she'll pick this thing up and it will be like in her face like where's the word woman or girl um, and so it just it, that was fun to see people that you think would react a certain way and react differently that was also really fun and to show how easy it is to be inclusive and that um, you know because you always hear about the media that like you know well you know it's quite still got some way to go to 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 be like that but um it's it was such a joy to have it so well received and it have you know all of the things like trans inclusive and different bodies and different uh, like um abilities and um yeah i think it was it's it's um it's always fun to it's just amazing really <laughs> just to see it be so well received yeah and finally, what do you think is the one thing that you would want people to take away from this book? Hmm, that's a good question. I think probably that everyone has a different experience with their period and that everyone is kind of different and unique in their own way. Thank you so much to you all for listening to this episode of Hear Her Out and I can't believe we've made it to 10 episodes, that is just crazy. Thank you so much to Natalie for giving up her time to talk to us all about periods and if you would like to buy her book there will be a link in the show notes to where you can go and purchase it and also a link to her Instagram and her website where she does other amazing illustrations over there too. Join me next week where I'll have a guest that I'm sure that you all know and love and will have you rolling on the floor laughing. Don't forget to subscribe just so you don't miss that and I will see you all next week. Have a good week. Bye.